And welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things. And today, I have Liam McBarnock. That That's correct? it, yeah. Cool. Um, and he's a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember. I, I saw. I think it was on CTV or but anyway, one of the TV channels. And you're like, you know, you want to raise, you want to do this run for charity, and like, you know, that's normal. But you want to do something insane. And you wanted to do like how many miles in one day? We were going for 110 miles in one day. So about 176 kilometers for the Canadian listeners that don't use miles. Yeah. So like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, I got that question a few times. Uh, the big reason is in the ultra marathon world, 160 kilometers, the 100 miler is like the pinnacle. It's like the marathon was for road running. It's like the Ironman triathlon is for triathlons. So it had to be at least 160, and the course we really liked happened to be 176. And if you're going that far anyways, what was another 10 miles in our eyes, we thought? But, like, also, uh, why did you put that time limit, too? To make it a challenge. Because if, you, if you're going to walk it, anybody, anybody could get off the coast and watch that walk that far. But, like, 24 hours is, in, in all of the races that inspire me, there's mm -hmm. time cutoffs. So there had to be a time cut off too to make it interesting, you know? And so at what point did you decide, okay, cool, I'm going to do it. And how long did you take to prepare for it? Uh, so I started getting the idea probably close to Canada Day. So near July 1st, give or take. Um, and then by the end of that week, I had been speaking with a friend at work and we decided we're going to do this thing on October, or not October, August 1st. So like four weeks, give or take. And like you've been doing other long distance runs or um so in the in the winter leading up to this, I was training to do ultra marathons. Oh, okay. But then COVID nineteen happened, as you can imagine, and everything got cancelled, the whole world shut down. Mm -hmm. So my motivation to train for a race was cancelled, as with my trip to Utah, all these places. So then I still wanted to do that, but it wasn't until three or four months into the COVID nineteen pandemic that it really came to life. Mm. Okay, we'll come back to that. So, but let's rewind a little bit. Like, uh, were you always an athlete growing up? Yeah. So, like, I, I I started playing organized sports when I was three. Like, I started playing soccer. Uh, I also got into track and field, football, basically any sport I could play in school growing up. I wanted to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Was never talented at basketball. I'll put that <laughs> out there. <laughs> but uh, everything besides that, I generally had my hand in it. Um, and what did you like about organized sports? Uh, I like the challenge, and I also like the team. Mm. Uh, I like moving my body. I like being physically active, um, and I'm very competitive too. So, like having a clear winner and a loser, <laughs> I, I like that growing up. Yeah. And okay, so so you did sports. Like, uh, did you? At what point did you think you were maybe going to do that as like a job? Uh, so I knew once I hit like age. 11 or 12 at soccer and I was playing like at the top level mm. uh, I rode the bench in a really important game and I realized there was a lot better guys on my team than me <laughs> and also I realized we're in Canada and we're not even good at soccer mm. especially the men 
like the women in like internationally do great, but the men, oh my God, we're, <laughs> we're a tragedy. So once I had that overall picture, I knew my, my pipe dream of going pro was gone. Yeah. Um, but then once I played high school football, I showed some promise in that sport and I thought I might be able to get my university paid for. Mm-hmm. So that was probably where I thought I might have a chance. Mm. And did that happen? Uh, it didn't happen. I was a, I was a bad student. And also I, uh. You're so honest. Yeah, I was a terrible <laughs> student. Uh, I didn't even go to practice that much. I was really bad. Like, overall, I just all I wanted to do was go lift weights, do things that were counterproductive. Uh, and also, I, I had a knee injury in, in grade 12 where I had a ACL and a meniscus tear. Oh. So then it's like, okay, do I want to try and rehab my knee and then try and make some great comeback to, to get, like, $1,000 off my college education when I don't really want to go to college. Mm. So I kind of, that's when the dream was scrapped 100%. Okay. And then what did you decide to do at that point? Uh, I moved to Australia. <laughs> you always <laughs> do the extremes. Why Australia? Because um, I, I knew I didn't want to stay here and do nothing. Mm-hmm. But I also knew I didn't want to go to university, which is what all my friends were doing. I knew I would get a bunch of student debt. I wasn't going to be a good student. I was just going to go there and chase girls and party. And if I wanted to do that that badly, I can move to Australia, do a working holiday visa for the year, and then get that out of my system without racking up a bunch of debt. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's actually, yeah. So, so I mean, and then how was Australia? How long did you stay there for? Um, so I lived in Australia for a year. And in that time, I went to Southeast Asia, and we did some backpacking around. I was with a friend, a uh, childhood best friend named Gavin. Um, and then after about 16 months, we returned back to Canada, Halifax, where we're from. Mm. Uh, I spent five months here after that point. Winter came. I did not like winter after being in Australia and Asia forever. <laughs> so, but you're Canadian. Though. Yeah, I know, but you acclimatize quickly, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So naturally what I did was I booked a flight to New Zealand and I moved to New Zealand. Oh, and you, did you stay there for long? Or? Yeah, I worked, um, I worked in a very like corporate suit and tie job there for 16 months and then how was that experience it was good it was it was incredible experience like on a professional level and for my resume Mm -hmm. um but then after a while like all my friends who were still backpackers were doing all these fun trips and i was go tying my tie every day (laughs) going to work i was like i moved across the world and now i'm in the rat race yeah 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 so i quit my job i moved i went to the south island i met up with some friends and we drove around the south island in a camper van for a while i hitchhiked around hiked did my first half marathon which was looking back a pivotal moment with what i've been doing lately Mm -hmm. And then eventually went to Europe, moved back home, and then I've been home now for two and a half years. So what what led you to, what was behind the decision to come back home? Uh, I love New Zealand and Australia, but they're really far. So it's like literally probably if you were going to point on a map, it's probably as far as you could get from Nova Scotia in the world. <laughs> so it's like I felt like I was missing a lot of things at home. And my favorite place in the world is Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my hometown. It's where I was raised. It's where I was born. So I always see myself in the future being in Halifax, mm. but it doesn't mean I still don't want to, you know, yeah, see other places. So you moved and what did you decide to do? Get a suit job or? No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I steered clear of that. Uh, so I, I worked in the bars for three months. I worked for a roofing company just doing general labor. It kind of got me back into shape after partying in Europe for a couple months. Uh, and then once I hit like the September, I think it was September 2018, I knew I needed something more serious to do over the winter. Mm-hmm. So then I applied and I became a personal trainer. 
So, like, had you done any personal training at this point? No, never. And why did you decide to go to Rock? Uh, my roommate was a personal trainer, and a couple of my childhood best friends were personal trainers. Oh, okay. And they loved it. We were all, the one thing that united our friends group was always our love for working out. So it seemed like the logical step that if I love working out, teaching other people how to work out might be something I'd love. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a shot. And how did you find it? Uh, it's pretty good. I'm still doing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> What do you love about it? Uh, a couple things. Like it teaches me about the best principles and methods for training myself. But mm. also to see someone who has maybe had sticking points their whole life with all these things, to see them break a plateau mm-hmm. and then to get that message of like gratitude from them where they're like, I never thought I could do this or that, but I did it because of you. That's like, that's, that fills your cup up real good. Mm. So like with personal training, do you do more like lifting or like, uh, what do you do? Yeah, I'm definitely biased towards strength training. So the most common goals I'll get is I want to lose weight. I want to gain muscle. Like, I don't work with that many actual true athletes. Mm. I run a boot camp just as a passion project because that's people who all played sports growing up, basically. And they're who I get to get my, like, athletic creativity out and design these crazy workouts for them. Mm-hmm. What is an example of a crazy workout you design? Oh, man, it depends. Like, do you know what an AMRAP is? No. It's like CrossFit. So it's as many rounds as possible. So you give them, like, five exercises and you say you have 20 minutes to do as many rounds of this as possible. No rest. <laughs> Yeah, and then you just pit them against each other and watch it go crazy. Do people puke? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. I've puked myself from these. <laughs> so, um, what is an advantage of doing such an intense workout? Well, and especially in a group setting, mm. the advantage is they kind of feed off each other's energy. Mm-hmm. So, it brings everyone up to a higher level than they'd be on their own. And then for, like, actual health benefits... In that 15 to 20 minutes of extreme high intensity, they're going to burn more calories than they ever would in 90 minutes plus doing steady state slow cardio in the gym. Like that 20 minutes is more beneficial to them metabolically than anything else they would do in that 20. So what are some like, I guess, exercises did did do? Uh, it does. There's no, there's no one shoe fits all here. So it's oh, like okay. generally you'd pick like uh, one or two strength exercises, maybe something upper body, maybe something lower body. And then you do one or two... Th- exercise that's going to get their cardio get their heart rate jacked up really high so for example like overhead press Mm -hmm. and then burpees oh no yeah and and then like a trap bar deadlift yeah yeah. and then maybe like the assault bike or something and if you get someone doing that like yeah i don't care how fit you are yeah exactly so um um how what like so rates in between beginner and like elite artist um um elite athlete what would, like, how many rounds would they get in that 20 minutes of such a workout? It depends on the workout, man. Some some of the workouts, like, take, for example, the Aerodyne bike, the assault bike. Mm. You can do the exercise and you feel great while you're doing it, but it's a delayed onset, right? So, like, a minute later, you feel the effects of what the assault bike just did to you. <laughs> so then you might only get three or four rounds. But if you're doing just just strength and you're using a different muscle each time, yeah. you might be able to get through six, seven rounds if you're if you're oh. really, like doing well but it depends on what the exercises are for sure god damn it um so uh what was the process of becoming a uh, personal trainer uh i applied for the job i used some of my friends that were in the industry nearby as references um and then i think based upon my previous sales experience uh doing 
I did door-to-door sales. I obviously did the, the corporate job, which was also sales kind of related. So they liked the odds of someone that was already fit but didn't know the science behind it and had already done sales. They figured they could teach me the rest. Oh, yeah. Okay. And were they right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're still doing it. Yeah. So, um, and then what? what is an average day like as a personal trainer? Um, it depends. So mm-hmm. I was a regular personal trainer until February, and then I took a job as the assistant manager of the personal trainers in my gym. How was that? So it's like there's 20 trainers in the team. Mm-hmm. I basically will help uh, a lot of the newer trainers every day with like um, how they can get more clients, uh, things like programming. I'm kind of like the um, – I'll help a small group of like four to five of them. Oh. And then also if like any of the other trainers have questions, they need admin help, anything, like I'm a manager now. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. But generally like for most trainers in the team, it would be they'd come in whenever they prefer. They make their own schedules. But let's say you come in at 9 a.m., you train three clients, so 9 till 10, one client, 10 to 11, another client, 11 to 12, one client. Mm-hmm. Then they'll have like a two or three hour break if they do it smart, mm-hmm. and they'll work out, eat, shower, read, whatever they want to do. And then from like three to six, they'll have another three or whatever it is. Okay. That's how a lot of people do it. Mm. And now as an, as an assistant manager, you don't do training anymore? I do, but like I had a roster of roughly 13, 14 clients before. And how would you... Uh, map that out in a week five days you do like two to three sessions with each person oh okay um and then you give them like a program for their off days where they do their exercise on their own, on their own. and hopefully they do it some are better <laughs> than others some are better than others Can you tell when they don't do it oh there's a ton of people that don't do it because <laughs> a lot of people like one of the key value adds of personal training is someone mm. that has a plan for you but also that external motivation so some people have more of it in themselves than others do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, that you and then as you became an assistant manager, do you still keep those clients or Yeah, so I have from that 12, 13, 14, I have now 3 actual private personal training clients I see each week mm-hmm. and then a boot camp which has between 15 to 20 athletes in it. Oh, uh, and the boot camp is once a week or Uh we were running 3 times a week. Uh, obviously with the world right now, we're not running at all. Mm. Uh, but lately it's been one, once a week. So, um, you know, when COVID, like March, it happened, we had to shut down. How was that experience? Like, how was it for you? Uh, it was tough. Cause like, I'm definitely the kind of person that likes to do things and go, go, go. Mm-hmm. So to be off work for three months, three and a half months, mm. uh, I had a lot of time to do some soul searching on what I, was I happy um, how can I make things better? All these things, but overall, the experience was definitely a positive one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that all these experiences you had before going to New Zealand, Australia, do you think like the things that would help make you see things differently than the average person would? Oh, a hundred percent. Because you have a perspective, like especially maybe not as much New Zealand and Australia, but like when I was in poor places in Indonesia or Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Some of the happiest people I ever met had the least. They didn't have the new iPhone or the new Yeezys, but they were generally the warmest, friendliest people I ever met. So it's like when I'm upset because I can't go to work, but my bills are paid, I have a full belly and I have a roof over my head. It kind of makes me get real with myself because I'm still like surrounded by people that love me. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I complain about? Wow, that's profound. Um, so, so anyway, so the break happened. 
and then you're you know preparing to so let's go first before covid happened you, what would the training for the ultra marathon what would that involve for you uh so i would do i was working with a coach i always hire a coach myself too which is funny because i am a coach i know why like i mean does that is that why would you do that because for me, I have so many things externally pulling my attention that I don't want to also have to, after a 10 day shift, a 10 hour shift, focusing on other people's plans, go home and then put more time into my plan when mm. I could flick my phone open and say, oh, coach says I'm running 15 miles today <laughs> at this pace, X, Y, Z, and yeah. know that he has this plan in the future. Mm. It's like you're buying your time back almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you got a coach and what, what did the training involve? So we would do like three to four runs during the week that were like a small to medium distance. Which would be? Uh, it depends where in the block. But like to put it in perspective, anywhere from like eight kilometers to 15 kilometers. Um, and is that for time? Not, not, not so much for time because when you're preparing for an ultra marathon, it's not that important how fast you can run. It's how far you can run and how long you can be on your feet. So for like the big run, the one big run on the weekends, it would be like, like one week, it's like, okay, you're doing three hours on your feet and you should do roughly this amount of distance in that time, give or take. Mm. And then the next week it might be three and a half hours. Oh, gosh. You know what I mean? It builds and then it'll drop down a little bit to give you time to recover, mm. adapt, and then it builds again. So uh, during the training, what would be the longest time you'd have to be on your feet? I think we got as high as four and a half hours. Um, I was, uh, and you were meant to finish what distance in that time? I don't know, actually. Maybe like 30, 30, 35. Like, I was running on a trail out in Dartmouth, which is Spider Lake, and it was snowy, so the whole trail was frozen. Oh, God. So I wasn't, I was, <laughs> so I wasn't moving that fast. <laughs> it's more just getting your... I was doing this one-kilometer loop for hours, oh, just like a little hamster. yeah, just counting. Gosh, yeah. damn. And, like, do those gear work? Because, like, when, you know, you go to the store to be like, he gears, is it, like, it's just marketing all the day. What what is it? Like outfits where it's like, oh, it kind of is thin, but it's supposed to keep. Oh, you warm. heat gear, cold gear. Yeah. I uh I would say so. Oh, okay. I, what's more important, I'd say, would be uh, a good pair of gloves and a and a good hat mm. when it's winter time, especially yeah. like we're in Canada, people. We're talking Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, so you do this run, and I guess at what point do you like? Oh, yeah, I'm ready now. Never. <laughs> Never. This run scared it scared the shit out of me. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but I was terrified. You can swear, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was terrified. Never was I ready. <laughs> you never like, okay, yeah, let's do this. No. So the ultra marathon involves it's it's what how many miles? So by definition, an ultra marathon is anything over the marathon distance, which is forty two point two kilometers. So it's forty two point three ultra marathon. <laughs> Technically, but if you're talking to the purists, like in this world, yeah. they'd say 50 kilometers and up would be an ultra marathon. Mm. And then the most common ways you'd break that up would be there'd be 50 kilometers, then you'd have 50 miles, which would be about, oh, don't quote me on that, 80, I think 80 kilometers. And then you have 100 kilometers, and then you have 100 miles. Oh. Now, naturally, I did what I've always done, and I skipped all these ones and went straight <laughs> to the 100, 100 miles. Okay, so you know you did this training and you like what races did you have planned to go? So I was gonna go down to Utah uh, for a race called the Zion One Hundred. So if you've ever seen Zion National Park in the United States, a friend of mine. Oh my god! Like I'm gonna tell you this weird yeah. story. So I I went to this film thing called Adventure 
masterclass, right? Adventures in the name, and I'm the laziest person you know. And like, I'm like, you know, because I like film, so I go to this class. And um, first off, you know, you, you get to introduce yourself and like, People, I mean, this class with people that jump out of planes, people that ski, people crazy. that ro- exactly <laughs> crazy. I'm like, oh my, I shouldn't have done this. So anyway, we had to make this film, and naturally they're like, oh, we are gonna make a film about climbing a mountain. I've never done this in my life. What are you doing? But anyway, you mentioned Zion. One of them, like, kind of not leaves, but like, um, at a certain points of the year, just camps in Zion and then climbs this, like sheer rock faces yeah she's crazy i think she's the strongest person in the group she's like this tiny little lady but she's like so strong and she's like it grip she, strength yeah like she's <laughs> climbing things with your fingers and like, no no anyway so yeah zion yeah so i was gonna do a hundred kilometer race in zion national park so mm-hmm. i had my flights booked airbnb everything was booked mm-hmm. obviously covid19 justin trudeau gets on the mic and <laughs> march 16th and everything shuts down come yeah. home so that ended uh, were you already there or no i was oh, still oh, here okay, but okay. i my flight i think was in three weeks or something Holy like shit. that and then how, then how did you feel like getting that news like like before you know the prime minister made his announcement did you think there was a chance i thought there was a chance i could get there in time because america was still kind of like mm-hmm. not taking the virus so seriously mm-hmm. so i was like i can get down there and get this race done before everything's like <laughs> but unfortunately not so and i was going to use that race as a qualifying race to do a bigger race in british columbia in the summer which is a 120 mile race which looking back kind of grateful that i didn't have to go do that race because i would (laughs) have gotten destroyed by that event (laughs) (laughs) so i got to learn some lessons this year uh, which i can use for future years so 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 like um at what uh number whatever position do you have to be in the utah race to qualify for the bc race uh, you just had to finish the race within a certain time oh, cut okay. off. I think it was 19 hours. Don't quote me on that. But yeah. I think it was like under 19 hours and you were eligible. So, wait. This race is like when you start, right? You know, bump and then you run. Yeah. Like, are you allowed to take a break? Or? Yeah, yeah, you can take breaks. But the only catch 22 is you could sleep. But the clock's still running. Oh. You know what I mean? The clock doesn't stop. Mm. So, boom, horn goes off. Congratulations, you're now in charge of your own race. Oh, so you can take whatever pace you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, you can. And like, what are some ways people like rest while doing these crazy distances? It depends. So if it's like a hundred kilometer race, mm. very few people would sleep in that. So they would just, when they get to the aid stations, they might, and then like in a hundred kilometer event, let's say there's 10 aid stations. Don't quote me on this. Mm-hmm. They get there, they'll change their socks or they'll eat a warm meal. Or they'll, you know, change their gear, change their water sources, all these things. So maybe a 10-minute break, 15-minute break at the aid station is how a lot of people would break it up. So do 10, rest, 10, rest, something like this. Give or take. It's not an exact science, but that's the rough idea. Oh, man. Um, socks. Why socks? Actually, don't want that. Because, like, like, your feet. So when you finish this run, your feet must be, like, full of blisters and stuff. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be on a flip-flop commercial, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> It'll look good. <laughs> Like, in my race, I probably had, like, by the end of the race, my whole foot was a blister. And my brother popped countless blisters on my foot. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. So, so anyway, the announcement happens. And then it's like, okay, it's not going to happen. When did the switch change from that to what you decided to do? Well, it didn't happen forever. So, like, it's March 16th. The, the world stopped for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I was off work. So, then for the next two and a half months i guess you could say until just make sure my timeline set up so 
March, April, May, June, July, three and a half months, three and a half months until I decided to do the race, basically. So in that time, I was doing home workouts. I was doing a little bit of running, but mostly like kettlebell. I was like doing push-ups, all this stuff, just keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. I was taking a course for nutrition coaching, so I was studying a lot. And then on June 2nd, Nova Scotia allowed gyms to open. Mm-hmm. And my gym where I work wasn't opened until the 29th, but I signed up for a different gym in Dartmouth that was open. So, like, is it a chain you work with or? I, I Yeah, I work for Good Life. It's oh, okay. the biggest gym in Canada. Yeah. Um, but Good Life wasn't open, but there was a gym called Prime Strength in Dartmouth. Okay. Uh, and they opened on the, tw- on the 2nd of June. And I started training there, but I was doing like powerlifting. Like I was, I was doing like heavy, heavy deadlifts, heavy, like heavy. like triples on deadlifts. <laughs> I'm picking up Atlas stones like the Vikings used to, like yeah, yeah, yokes. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm training like I'm a strong man. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why did he decide to do? Because it's fun. Like my first passion was lifting heavy weights. Like mm. I remember as like, like a chubby 14 year old with my friends in like the computer pods at school. We'd watch videos of Ronnie Coleman. And he's got 200 pounds in each hand, like lightweight, baby. (laughs) So like that was always our inspiration. So that's that's how I got into this kind of Mm. world. So you do the heavyweights and did you go back to your gym when it opened? Yeah, we we opened up and I was back training there. And then once I got back to work was when the the idea kind of popped up because a guy, so I'm the assistant fitness manager now, Mm -hmm. the assistant general manager, his name was Andrew. Mm. And he did the same Ironman triathlon as me the year before that we didn't know each other at this time Mm. and the funny thing is during that race at one point i would have actually passed him on the run to beat him oh but like it was a very close our times were close Mm. and then i met him later on and he told me that he was at this race and i was like i did that race too so then we started planning the run and it didn't seem crazy because we were both crazy You know, that's one thing, like, it's it's always a good idea to kind of surround yourself with people that see things the way you do, because, like, uh, and also are honest with you, because they'll be like, okay, yeah, we should do it, but, you know, plan it out, because, like, what you're doing is crazy, but you actually planned it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you get back to what, what are some of the protocols you had when you had to reopen? Uh, At the gym? Mm-hmm. Oh, so we hired, like, 20 new staff just to clean. Mm-hmm. So when we first opened, it was like you could book a one-hour workout and then we'd close the gym for 30 minutes and industrially clean the place and then reopen it the next hour. We'd do that all day. Oh, wow. And then when you show up, you have to wear a mask. When you leave, you have to wear a mask, all these things. As the time went on, we moved into different protocols where Mm. we, excuse me, we had had abandoned the bookings, Mm. but we still had at any time between four to seven just cleaners going around doing all the equipment and the members were also cleaning their own equipment. Mm. Okay. Jimmy reopens, you meet your crazy friend, like, Oh, let's do this run. Well, how did you guys map it out? Uh, we started, we we were on Google maps and we were just looking. We're like, okay, where's, I told him it has to be a hundred miler has to be. So we looked around and we're like, what, what could people get behind? What, what would be like a distance that would make sense? So we started punching digits and you know, we found that I thought Peggy's Cove would be a great start or end point because anyone who knows Nova Scotia knows Peggy's Cove. Mm-hmm. It's like the most iconic site in Nova Scotia, arguably. Yeah. And then for myself, what I thought could be cool was run to Porta Peak because it was the site of the worst shooting in Canadian history. Yeah. And this was during lockdown. Mm. So I felt like there was so much negativity in Nova Scotia. 
and just like so much bad news that like a little injection of positivity mm. might be a refreshing change of uh subjects yeah so then punched it on the map it was it was 100 plus some and we were like we can make that work <laughs> so how did you break down your eight stations so we started uh we basically just followed along google maps and tried doing roughly like 10 to 15 kilometers between each aid station mm. so we'd look around like the first one we stopped at was a church and we we're like oh that's a big parking lot we could pull the van in there and you could give us anything we need mm. next one was like a tim horton so we're like cool if we need anything specific that'd be good it's right like in this nice business area before we get out of bedford onto like a highway mm-hmm. uh and then we just kind of tried to purposely make it between 10 to 15 kilometers between each aid station there was no method to the madness mm. so um you map it out way still training during the by the time we started mapping it out yes i began taking it very serious so i stopped powerlifting. like this is probably four weeks before the run mm. stopped powerlifting. started running four or five days a week now i only had two weeks of actual run training before i had to taper but I was definitely taking it serious at this point. Mm, so taper is like just rest or? Uh, it's like, let's say you're building up your volume. So you're at like, let's say you do 100 kilometers in one week. And then you do 120 kilometers the next week. But then you're like two or three weeks out of the event. Mm. Then you might want to go down to like 90 or 80. And then like 60 or 50. To like purposely let your body take that extra volume. And just like put it into recovery. Kind of fill everything up so you're... 100% healthy by the time you step on that finish line or start line. So, and but you also want to like raise funds also. What, when did that idea come, become part of this project? Uh, I was really hesitant to speak what we were going to do out to the world. I'll be honest with you. So we waited Why? until, uh, cause like I didn't know if I could finish it. So it's like, it's one thing to open your mouth and say you're going to do something. But if you commit it and you say it to the world, then you ha- you better do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's very true. I, I planned the race and I thought it was just going to be me. I had convinced Andrew, who was going to be on the bike with me all day. And then my brother was going to come. He's a medic in the military. So boom, he's my medic. Mm-hmm. And then I had a friend, Devin, uh, who's my brother's best friend, who was going to operate the car, uh, update social media. He was going to reach out to some sponsors potentially to see if they could cover some of our cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, a, it was an interesting planning process. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the day comes, how's actually before the day, what's the night before, like for you mentally, physically? Uh, I was obviously nervous cause you're about to attempt to do something that you don't know if you can physically do it yourself mm-hmm. and you haven't actually trained that much for it. Uh, so I was nervous. I was also excited though, cause I love running mm-hmm. and I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of content and everyone talks about this, like this breaking point or like this point when like, you're like at your lowest, but then you suddenly feel your best. It's like hitting your wall. Mm. And in the Ironman triathlon, I didn't hit my wall. Oh, fuck. So you just went through that. Wait, that's the one where you run and swim and bike, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in, like to put it in perspective for the listeners who don't, spend time in this world because most people probably don't it's not normal uh but it's a 3.8 kilometer swim and then it's a 180 kilometer bicycle and then it's a 42.2 kilometer run and that's the first time and only time i had run a marathon before this race oh god that is insane no man 
Liam, you're a crazy person. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the night before, you're like, I'm not sure if I can do this. What time did you start on the day? So we started at 9. So I got up at 4.45 in the morning. Um, the videographers got there at 5 o'clock because we, we have a video out from this run. Mm. Um, I had breakfast. We triple checked all our bags, all our gear, all that stuff. My brother stayed the night there, so he was there. Devin was picking us up at 7 a.m. at my apartment. And then we drove to Peggy's Cove, and we had planned it. So we had a one-hour buffer of me to get my mind right, that all the crew can get their gear. CTV was going to come out and do a last little bit, and then we were going to start running at 9 a.m. And then 9, kickoff. Uh, you know, I'm just going to look at it as a big piece. How many shoes did you have to wear for this run? I just went through two sets. Oh, okay. Great. So, and, and like, outfit? Uh, I went through a lot of outfits. I didn't, we didn't plan that one actually as good as we could have. That's, mm. uh, that's in the knowledge bank from any future events I do. Mm-hmm. So I probably went through at least six sets of clothing, at least. Cause you got to think like when you're running, your legs and your body is jostling for blood cause you're, cause you're doing physical activity. Mm-hmm. But since you're going for 24 hours, you need to eat food on a timer to make sure you have energy. Oh. So now your digestion is jostling for blood and energy. And then you add it all off and then suddenly you're sweating. So your skin and all this is jostling for energy. So suddenly it's like you're burning hot, but then you sweat and then nighttime hits and then suddenly you're freezing cold. Mm. And like it's it's just this jostling match. So yeah, we went through a lot of clothes. Wow. Okay. So so you get off at Pegasus Cove and then you just get on the road. Uh, so it's just you and your friend on the bike and yeah. then the, the car is way up front. Yeah, so the car would leapfrog us going to the different aid stations. Mm. And if there was anything I needed, like water, more food, salt pills, anything like that. What are those? Salt pills. Uh, it's just they literally what it sounds. It's like these capsules, clear capsules, and they have like sodium and potassium in them. Because mm-hmm. for your muscles to fire, they need a certain level of sodium. And it needs to be balanced with how much water you have. And if you fall out of whack, you'll basically, it's called bonking and like you... You won't be able to run. It'll stop your race if your sodium levels drop too low. Holy shit. So you just like, it's salty? <laughs> you don't taste it because you just swallow oh, it. Oh, yeah. okay. So cool, like, cool, cool. obviously I had food. Like I was eating, I was eating rice balls that had like, like soy sauce and stuff on them because you want salty foods too. Oh. But it's easier because the amount I sweat too, I'm a very sweaty dude. Mm. I was never going to be able to eat enough salt to, to replenish it. So I, every like 15 or 30 minutes, I'd get a buzz on my watch. Mm. Salt pill. Oh, wow. That's really, really planned out. Okay, so anyway, you get on the run. What was the first uh, aid station? Uh, it was, don't quote me, I think it was St. Paul's Church, out like in French Village, like really beautiful. Like, like it was, and I can't express how grateful I am for the weather that day because mm-hmm. it was hot, but it was gorgeous. So we run, we get to St. Paul's, which is like French Village, like down like one of those communities off the ocean. Uh, I think it was 18K, felt great, went to the next aid station, which was maybe 20K away in Bedford, Tim Hortons, still beautiful, a little hot. We were feeling good for the first couple. Mm. And, you know, running and, you know, taking your pills and like, did your friend on the bike have, have a radio with the car or just phone calls? Or? Uh, He had phone calls. Okay. So like, if there was anything I, I needed, he would basically go meet with them and then come back and do it for me. Oh. and like even like water i was only carrying maximum one liter at a time on my chest mm. 
and he would come up and if I finished one bottle, he would check and be like, are you done your bottle yet? It should have been done five minutes ago. Oh. And if it, as long as it was done, he's like, good, he, he'd refill it. And if I ran out of bottles, he'd bike by, I'd give him my bottles and keep running. He'd fill them up and then drop them off like on the go. Mm. How did you like have average time per kilometer or? Yeah, we, we had planned for, I think it was around six minutes and 45 or six forty-five or seven. Uh, again, like we were all green. This was our first, any of our first times doing this. So mm. realistically, we probably should have had a slow descending um, climb on the on the pace. It should have started at like six and then slowly dropped to like eight, oh. I think. Because by the time it was 15 hours into the run, I was not hitting that pace anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at what point, like, did you feel you were in trouble? Uh, Not in trouble. The first oh shit moment for me mm-hmm. was the second I finished my first marathon. So okay. 42.2. Once my watch beeped and went 43 kilometers, new personal best. I said, oh crap, I've never been here before. Oh. So like psychologically, it's like, okay, this is all uncharted territory from this point onwards. Mm-hmm. So it was more mental than physical for you then? Oh, a hundred percent. Cause like even 30 kilometers in the run onwards, every two or three kilometers, something in my body would say, it's like a, a red flag. So it's like, oh, your foot is bothering you. You should maybe stop. Mm. Ignore your foot for a few kilometers. Oh, right quad. Yep, that's definitely the one. Maybe you should stop. And then it's just that for forever. So it's like <laughs> you get really good at ignoring your body because you're like, it's just, it's it's lying to you. <laughs> okay. So um, I watched a video, which is really, really great. And if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Um, But at a point, you like hurt. Yeah. Um, like were you hurting and then you still kept running oh yeah <laughs> like for everything from like the i don't know maybe like the 70 kilometer onwards so maybe aid station number four mm. by then like uh, do you know what a shin splint is yeah those things hurt yeah so both my shins were like two giant shin splints oh i no! like i lost the ability so like you know how your ankle can do this one yeah and yeah i didn't have that ability anymore it was just like <laughs> it was just one position <laughs> Wait, you have to tape your legs, right? Uh, we didn't actually tape them, no, because we were trying to like foam roll them, and I didn't think the tape would do that much. But oh. uh, yeah, no, it was uh, from that point onward, every step I took, it was like okay, like <laughs> out, 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 out. <laughs> anyway, so you push for, uh, and at one point, did the crutches come up? Uh, one hundred forty-seven kilometers in, so probably about like twenty-three but you hours in. Then before, before that time. Maybe, but they would have slowed me down so much. Why? Why? Like you know. So at what point do you like listen to your body? I guess. Uh, so I was on this really gentle. Like it looked. It's so unmenacing. This little hill in a suburb in Truro, outside of Truro, and I was just going down this little hill, and suddenly I felt this like big, like pull and like this burning sensation in my knee, mm. and I was like, oh, that's unique compared to what everything else i felt for the last 23 hours of running mm-hmm. so that was like okay noted and then i kept going and then maybe 50 more meters and then same feeling except more intense this time and then i was like okay this seems somewhat justified i maybe should and i had done my knees as we talked about before i had tore my knee and had two surgeries before so i oh you didn't mention the surgery but you don't say you hurt your knee oh yeah told. no i had two reconstructive surgeries shit so I, I was like, okay, I'm somewhat familiar with what a real knee injury feels like, and mm. this didn't feel good. So at this point, I was like, okay, one more chance. So I kept trying to go, and then maybe about 100 more meters, and then it went one last time, and it was really severe. Mm. 
And then I looked at the boys who I had like four guys running next to me. And I said, guys, I need to sit down for a second because something's not right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you sit down and then, I mean, you could, you could end this race at any time. Yeah. Why did you decide, okay, I'll continue with crutches? Uh, cause I wasn't convinced that it was definitely serious. Mm. And like my body had been trying to reason with me for 23 hours at this point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe I come around or maybe I can set a blistering pace on these crutches and finish this thing. So it's like, I sat down, took ibuprofen, took Tylenol, iced it, heated it, did every trick in the book you can imagine. Mm. And still wasn't getting much better. And then I was hit with an ultimatum. By then, the whole next aid station had come to us, and we're just sitting on some person's lawn in Truro. Like, there's like uh, like 25 people, a giant crew of us, just sitting on this person's lawn. And it's and by the way, at this point, it's like 10 a.m. on a Saturday in Truro. It's busy. It's beautiful out. We haven't slept. I'm looking like I just crawled out of somewheres. Um, so then it's getting hot again. So I put on more sunscreen because it's yeah. out day two. Here we go. Uh-huh. And then. On one shoulder, you have like the angel who is like my family. And they're like, Liam, you've done so much. Yeah. You've raised $10,000. You only wanted 2800 <laughs> You've done so many great things. Like you can stop. And then on the other side, specifically one of my patients, Matt, he goes, nah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, nah, we're finishing this shit. He's like, you're going to do it. He's like, he's like, you can't stop now. He's like, we got to keep going. Get oh up. He's God. like, get up. We got to go. Okay, so you got on the crutches. How was your mind and your body then? Uh, body was pretty, like, beat. Because, like, my left... Like, by now, my ankles were, like, swollen. And, like, any pressure on my legs was instant feedback. Pain, mm-hmm. yeah. But I had all my boys around me. They had a speaker. <laughs> and I had the crutches. And we're just going down the highway. And people... Like, cars are driving by. So we're on the main drag in Truro. Yeah. Or outside of Truro. And they're just, like, looking at us like we're crazy. And we're just... <laughs> I'm just crushing down the highway and our guys are hyping me up. So, I mean, mentally, I was in a great space. Wow. Okay, so, so, you know, what did you... How much digging in did you have to do to get to finish this thing you set out to do? How, many, how much more would I have to go? hmm So, 147. So, I had 29 kilometers left. Mm. And it took me two, two hours or just over two hours to do 4k on crutches so we crunched some quick math and uh realized that it was a whole it was a whole nother ultra marathon it was going to be another 24-hour event on these crutches mm. and then we we weighed it the pros and the cons all these people all, all the people at the aid stations by the way never slept either yet so i had all my family and friends that were out there 30 plus hours second mm. day they haven't slept yet they're all still there with us mm-hmm. so and another thing was happening with the crutches which after 4K, my whole sides and my hands were now all giant blisters too. Oh, man. Because, like, you're trying to take all the weight off your legs. Mm-hmm. So you put all the weight in your hands and your sides. And then suddenly I have blisters all up and down my back and my side and my hands. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, I couldn't hide from the pain anywhere. So it was just all around me. So then we pulled the plug. God. How difficult was that for you? It sucked. It, it was really hard because, like, mentally I... I was pretty confident that mentally, even though I don't think I would, I'd be in much worse shape right now. I think we could have finished it, Mm. although it'd be another 24. But then like at what cost? Like we want to do other crazy things. We want to, I want to be able to walk when I'm 40. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like maybe, you know, we didn't train this year. It was our first time doing it. We didn't quite finish it, but look at all the success we had. Mm -hmm. So maybe we take those lessons and then we do it better next year and then we can use those mistakes to our advantage. So you pulled a plug, then what? Uh, then the boys finished the run. So there was three of them. So Andrew was still going. He was off his bike at this point. He had his running shoes on. He knew. And then Matt, Elliot, they came to run. So they were ready. So I just pulled them aside and said, guys, I'm not going to be able to finish this thing, but you guys are all healthy and you guys can. And these people all came out to see a finish. Mm. And the people all like the social media world too, like, we didn't expect it, but when I got my phone back from my brother, he was using my socials. Mm. Hundreds, like we had thousands of shares, hundreds of messages each day coming in from people. Like the amount of support and people that got behind it. Mm -hmm. I was like, we need to show all these people the the finish point in Porta Peak at the memorial. So mm. then they just straight shot. They didn't. They weren't going at the pace I was. They went much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> so any did they have to go to any aid station or they just went straight? They, they ran in, they went to an aid station, basically just grabbed all the food they could hold, refilled their waters, ran, got to the next aid station, same thing, just grabbed more food, and then went. There was no, like, dilly-dallying. Mm. And, okay, so at the end of that, how was that for you? Um, it, it, was, it was good. I was really happy to see them finish it, and it, we were very excited that, like, the whole community, so Porta Peak, too, like, a lot of people were coming in from that community. Mm. Like, I had an 85-year-old woman come up to me and give me a hug, and she's like, I seen you on the news, dear, and I just wanted to kiss you on the cheek and pinch your cheek. <laughs> so, like, to see, like, yeah. how much this meant to some people. And, like, I had an eight-year-old boy, the same thing. He, we were staying at an Airbnb, mm. and the it was a grandmother who was renting the Airbnb out. But mm -hmm. she messaged me at 9 p.m. the night after we finished the run. And she said, hey, is it okay if I stop by the uh, Airbnb? I have someone who wants to meet you. I was like, uh, Okay. And by then we had like, we had had a couple drinks and all these things. I was like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm in good shape to be talking to someone. We're sleep deprived. But, and then there's an eight year old boy on mm -hmm. the doorstep and he's like, Liam, I've been following the run. I'm super inspired. Me and my friend are going to try and run four kilometers next week. Wow. And all this stuff. And I, that's when I think it really set, settled in for us of what we had impact around us. And then it made me feel real good for what we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. So you do this thing, you raise all this money. Uh, you finish, your body's taking its toll. Like, did you see the doctor the following day or? Uh, no. So I, I gave it a couple of days for the inflammation to go down. So literally for when I took my shoes off, my running <laughs> shoes off and my socks, I, I exaggerate not. And I really regret not taking a photo. I'll take a photo after the next event, but my ankle was the size of an avocado. <laughs> and it's like if you know if you see someone very very like morbidly obese how they have like kind of like cankles i had huge cankles like they were like from my calf down to my foot it was all one width <laughs> it was it was biblical dude it was bad like my brother had to help me get dressed for three days afterwards oh, i couldn't no. i couldn't bend my legs he he literally was my nurse <laughs> so um how is this like uh like sitting down in an ice bath did you do something like this? Does it help? Uh, yeah, but like even for the first few days, I couldn't even get in a bathtub, dude. Like that that movement was not an option. <laughs> like, like luckily for me, our Airbnb had a had a walk in shower. Oh, okay. So that was clutch. So I at least got to shower. But yeah, yeah no, for like I had to take a few days off work. I if I couldn't put pants on, I wasn't worrying about ice baths. <laughs> Okay, so how many days did you like? Did it take for you to stop feeling okay-ish? 
probably three or four days and I started feeling somewhat human again. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I went to the hospital, got x-rays on my legs. What did they see? They, they see nothing. Um, oh. Like just some like inflammation and stuff. And he's like, yeah, it looks like your shins were pretty like, like splinted up and stuff. But he's like, overall, it's just like inflammation, the kind of thing you'd expect. Uh, if I want to really know, I would need MRIs. Now in Nova Scotia, I'm on a list right now for an MRI. But in Halifax, it's over a year wait. Mm. And in New Glasgow, which is where we applied for me to get mine, it's like four to ten months, they said. Oh. So as of right now, there could be something going on, but... You don't know yet. I don't know, man. Take it out. Okay. Yep. Okay, so, you know, uh, and then uh, how long did it take for you to feel normal again? Maybe like three or four weeks, and then I like could be at work without too much pain. Mm. Now, I still was feeling like dull amounts because I'm on my feet a lot, like mm-hmm. training clients and stuff. I was feeling like maybe between a two to five out of 10 pain, but very manageable. But by then, like I, I was obviously dressing myself. I was able to work out my upper body. Like life was returning to normal to some degree. Mm. Uh, I hadn't run until literally last week was my first run though. That's months and months. Yeah, August 1st and then November. So end of november mm. so yeah it's a good chunk so like that was based on your doctor's advice or just you listening to your body uh mostly me listening to my body mm. so obviously the doctor <laughs> i've had the same doctor he literally delivered me <laughs> so wh- when so i've seen you from like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so when i walked into a uh, shout out dr Conter. uh <laughs> when i when i went into his office he the first question he's like you tried doing fucking what <laughs> and he's just like yeah you you know you're not supposed to try and do that right yeah and he's like oh so you're hurting a bit he's like yep he's like doesn't surprise me he's like all right let's take (laughs) he's like all right let's let's take a look at you and then he starts like starts writing prescriptions immediately he's like yeah you're gonna need this you're gonna so he just started going to work yeah god damn it anyway so um uh it's done now uh you are back to running are you gonna do something like that again uh yeah like <laughs> def- yes yes we are for sure <laughs> okay wait are you planning actually planning to do something like that again yeah I'm not- oh my God. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. okay so so you're like you you went to this house and there's like there's a monster in the fucking house and you experience the monster and you're like, you know what? I wanna go back in the fucking house. Why? Why, Liam? Why? <laughs> cause like just because there's a monster in the house doesn't mean it's a bad monster. Mm. And like I think a lot of people run from their monster. So like for me, I I never felt more alive than when I was planning for this event and then doing this event mm. and the aftermath and seeing who it touched. So for me it's like if I can train for it right and do learn from all the mistakes I made, mm. maybe I won't be broken at the end of it, but mm. I can have an even bigger reach. So I weigh the pros and the cons yeah. and how I feel in that process. Yeah. I can't replicate that feeling anywhere else. So how far into this planning session are you now? Oh, uh, if we we're going to talk, like if I was going to give you a percentage, mm. it'd be very low. Like we're like, we're in the conception phase, maybe like 15%. So, oh, okay. so we have like, a rough idea of like where we where we want to go as far as the route goes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we're in early stages of talking with like some potential like partners to help us put this re- event on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely uh, still in design phase. Hmm. So do you know how long the distance is going to be? Uh, I don't want to quote specific distances or specific checkpoints just because in the last two weeks, it's changed three times. The little, oh, okay. you know, it's, it's like we literally drove up to Cape Breton, which is where I will say that it's going to be part of it will be in Cape Breton. Uh, Are you starting or ending there? Well, we're looking at starting in Cape okay. Breton. Um, but it's going to be, what I can say is it's going to be roughly a 48 hour event. So not 24, it's going to be 48. Oh, okay. Okay. Are you going to plan any sleeping time in towards it? Just three? Uh, pretty straight through. Like, we'll we'll have a couple breaks, like maybe like a certain amount of time on with a small amount of time off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, sleep will be once we finish it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so, so, um, you do all these things and like, you're super positive and you're influencing people, you know, impacting them positively. How does that feel for you? It feels amazing, man. Like, it... It literally, I, I had no idea of the possible impact we were having on people, but then to have that scale from the, the great-grandmother down to the eight-year-old boy, mm-hmm. and even, like, some some things the charities sent to me recently with, like, after-school programs and where some of the money we're raising is going, mm-hmm. they're literally building a community center right now in Porto Peak for, like, amazing. after-school programs for these kids, all this stuff. So it's, like, there's so much good coming out of it. And mm-hmm. just doing something we loved, in the pro- like, I would have done that for free. So mm. to do something that you would do for free and have a positive impact, mm. that that like kept my cup very, it's overflowing when yeah. I do stuff like that. So it's a very good feeling. You know, and actually one other way to look at it, like if COVID didn't happen and you went to the race, this might not have happened. For... This never would have happened. Yeah, It's like, I, I like to think of that for a lot of things. So like when I tore my knee, if I didn't tear my knee, I probably would have got like a very, very unimpressive ten uh, one or $2,000 towards my university education. Mm. I would have probably flunked on a university and I would have never went to Australia and New Zealand and learned those lessons. Mm. And then also COVID-19, if that didn't happen, we never would have done this race. So mm. a lot of the biggest obstacles that seem like they've come up in my life have actually turned out to be the biggest blessings, which is seems counterproductive, but it's just the way they've turned out. So are you just going to do like a TED talk or like a, like a show or podcast where you just talk about motivating people and stuff? Because just the way you talk, I think it's something you should do. I mean, I would, I, I would, I would never rule anything out, mm-hmm. but I, if I can inspire people to do bigger things for themselves mm-hmm. and take on the big, the scary monster in the house, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't sound like work to me. I would do that for free while I'm working a full-time job. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think I need to get some more life experience first to, to maybe have something to talk about, but I Are like the idea. Me? <laughs> you know what I've learned, right? I mean, age matters, like, you know, how long you've lived, it does matter, but but, like, there's a difference between someone that's just leaving, like, one city and someone that's, like, gone to places and done things. So, like, you know, age counts, sure, sure. But, like, also it's about what the person has actually experienced. So, I wouldn't knock that. I wouldn't knock that. Because, like, you've learned some things in all these places you've done. And, like, just how much you're pushing your body. Yeah, I mean, I would I would really welcome that opportunity in the future. Uh, I just want to continue to do the things that me and my friends love to do, which is... <laughs> Plan, plan these crazy things and just, uh, if something, if opportunities arise in the future, mm-hmm. I like, just like this one, I would never, I would never say no. I'd always be an open mind. Okay. So, so let's say the race, you know, I don't know when you plan it for, but it happens. It's done. 48 hours is done. You swell up again. You get back down to normal. 
Y'all gonna do another one? Yeah, like I don't see myself stopping at any point, uh, unless like I get a serious a serious change, <laughs> like maybe a maybe my doctor sits me down and gives me an ultimatum. <laughs> I'm uh, like, live. <laughs> your knees are gone. Like I think that's probably the only way I would stop. Um, um I I like are you in a relationship seeing someone or? Uh, I was before the run actually, but lately I'm no, I'm not in a relationship right now. So so what did it when when you were with the person? Were you like planning to run then, or? Uh, I was planning the, not really. We actually kind of near when we broke up was near when I actually did the run or started planning the run. Oh, oh okay. Because I was curious. I'm like, you know, I'm just curious what they'd say or what they thought of it. But you know, she she was supportive actually of all my oh. crazy things. Like she, I was with the same person when I did the Ironman, all these things. Oh, okay. I, do they run and all these? Yeah, she was a runner. Yeah. Oh well, it makes sense because like she understands what it's like. To you. Yeah. Would you say runners have like a, a different mentality from like people that don't run? I would say so, but there's also like just like anything, there's many different grade like d- different types of runners. There's there's road and there's trail. There's like people that run really fast, so they can run like you know three four minute kilometers. Mm-hmm. They'd blow me out of the water, but then there's the ultra marathoners who can run. Like if you if you want to see someone crazy, search up Courtney DeWalter. Mm-hmm. This girl did a race recently where she ran like three or four hundred miles, almost nonstop, and, and she's from Colorado, so those are hilly miles. Like so, every time I think I'm crazy, I look out into the big bad internet, <laughs> and I quickly find people like David Goggins and Courtney DeWalter, and it 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 kind of reaffirms what we're doing because it's not that crazy. Other people do it. Mm. Wow. Oh my God. Like, I, I, you know, I want, I don't want this to end, but cause like so many questions come to mind. So maybe I'll invite you over to do a part two closer to the race. Um, I, I know you said 15%, but also I don't know how long you've been planning for. When do you see it happening? Like, is it like six months next year? I mean, obviously next year, but like how far where are you from? Like, okay, we have a date now. Uh, we have a soft date in mind. So it's going to be, most likely in the fall. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay so like okay. end of summer, fall, region. So it'd be safe to guess like an August, September time frame. Cool, cool. So we're going to have a lot of stuff coming out in the spring mm. around it, like training series, some some shows, stuff like that. Good, but good. right now we just need to like some, I, I'm going to attempt this and I have a couple close friends and we're all going to try and attempt this together. A bunch of buddies. Oh, okay. That might be easier having people you're running with. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I'll give you, I'll tell you one thing. It's not just going to be running this time. There's going to be some other aspects to it. Uh, swimming and shit. Yeah. We'll see. But <laughs> you'll have to have me on in the future, but there'll be a, there'll be some other things to, to spice it up a little bit. Mm. Uh, but right now I just need to get healthy before I can yeah. actually start training. So, uh, when do you see your doctor again? Like, and does he have to kind of sign off? No, he doesn't have to sign off. I do all this stuff on my own accord. But, um, mm. no, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing a physiotherapist what I'm doing most right now. So, oh, okay. I see physio again next week. I do my exercises every day. I was doing a lot of strength training, which was really helping. Mm. Fucking lockdown 2.0, though. <laughs> so, now I have a dumbbell at home. But, yeah. I mean, all I can do is do my exercises, keep doing the dry needling, massage, all the stuff. What and is that? Uh, they basically stick, uh, a little skinny needle deep into your muscle and like, it like twitches and it helps break up, uh, like, um, scar tissue and all this stuff. It oh. kind of gets the blood flow going. Oh, okay. So, oh yeah. I need to ask you cause you do all these crazy things. Like, so what do you think of things like the Spartan races and on um, like, you know, things like that? 
I think it's great. I think any way that people can find a challenge for themselves that is in a healthy manner. So it's like, yes, people will throw out the argument that it's not healthy to do, to run for 24 hours. Like, yes, you're correct. But it's also not healthy to have a habit of excessive processed food consumption or alcohol consumption or all these other things. Mm -hmm. So I think if people want to have these extremes in their life that's physically achieved, mm -hmm. even if it's going to do some damage on your body, the amount of training and healthy habits that lead up to that, mm -hmm. I think is a very positive people, especially in our world right now with COVID-19 because your immune system is everything right now. So if you're healthy and you train for these events, mm -hmm. chances are if you get this virus, you're going to kick its ass. Mm -hmm. So I, I love all things physical activity. Mm. Okay, yeah, I'm going to end with this one now. Um, someone out there is watching, listening, and, you know, they are going through a tough time, right? You know, it's like whatever it is they are dealing with, not that, you know, you've experienced what they are, but, like, when you yourself get to that point where, you know, your body's breaking down, say, during yeah. the race, or, or, like, everything just hurts. How do you get yourself to take that one more step? That's a really good question. Really good question. I think I think you need to re remind yourself who you are and what you want to what you want to achieve. Um so it's not not just running. If it's you want to get a promotion at your job, then it's reminding yourself the processes that lead to the promotion. So it's going in maybe a couple minutes early or doing that extra project that you weren't asked to do. So if you're running, it's like you don't need to stop, but if you can get 1% better today, you ran that 5K last week, great. Could you get to that telephone pole past the 5K today just to get a little farther? And then when you start stacking little tiny wins on top of each other, it makes you feel really, really good about yourself. And those small wins, although they may seem very linear at the start, they go exponential very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, be kind to yourself, but also don't be afraid to stack little tiny wins instead of trying to reach for that big audacious goal right away. Wow. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Liam. And good luck on your race. Uh, when you're reaching out to people you want to talk to, talk to us because we definitely would love to be a part of it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Israel. Uh, big fan of this, and uh, we'll definitely be talking in the spring. Sweet. Thanks for listening.